This morning we continue our series from the Old Testament. We have come to the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, I'll preach a couple of messages from this book. The author of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. Now, we know that because the author refers to himself as being a son of David, the king in Jerusalem. So that applies to no one other than Solomon. David was his father, Bathsheba his mother, and he was born in 1033 B.C. You recall that Solomon was the one allowed to build the temple. His father had wanted to do so, but because God said he was a man of war, he was not allowed to build the temple. So Solomon then wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He also wrote most of the Proverbs. Matthew Henry said we may suppose that he spoke his Proverbs in the prime of his time, but delivered his Ecclesiastes when he had grown old. So the book we are looking at is at a time when Solomon is older. He is looking back over his life. Now, he refers to himself in Ecclesiastes repeatedly as being the preacher. Davis said the meaning of preacher is disputed. So here is the king referring to himself as the preacher. But what did he mean? There are two possibilities. Matthew Henry wrote, it can mean one gathered, one that had rambled and gone astray like a lost sheep, but was now gathered in from his wanderings. So it could be that this is a testimony Solomon is giving. He is speaking about his own demise. He is speaking about his own journey into sin and how he came back to God. Or... It can refer to one who gathers others who have gone astray. So it might be then that he wrote Ecclesiastes to speak to those who have gone away from God, to tell them about his journey away from God and the vanity of life without God and how they also can return to God. Perhaps it's both. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place it rises there again. Blowing toward the south and turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place where the rivers flow. There they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, See this, it is new. 
Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. In verse number 2, he says, Vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Solomon here is speaking about life without God, and he says it is meaningless. It could be compared to a touchdown that has been scored, but then is called back because of an infraction. The touchdown does not count. There are no, no scores that go up on the scoreboard. It is meaningless. Well, that's what Solomon says about life without God, that it is meaningless. And then he tells us all those things he pursued in trying to find meaning in life. And he says, I pursued after pleasure. In chapter 2, verse number 1, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote, no man can live without delight. And that is why a man deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. That is an interesting thought to me. Someone who does not have the pleasure of God in their life. Someone who does not have the satisfaction of God in their life then turns to the world for pleasure. That is what Solomon is saying. He is saying in my, in my journey, my look, my quest for life, he said, I went to pleasure. There are those people who look to drugs and alcohol, and Solomon did that in chapter 2, verse number 3. He said, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. He said, I was looking for pleasure in life. I was looking for something to satisfy the emptiness, emptiness of my life. He said, so I turned to alcohol, but it left him unfulfilled. There are those who think, well, uh, sexual conquest is going to be the answer to it. And if, um, if you think Tiger Woods is outstanding, he is nothing compared to Solomon. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. But none of that brought meaning to his life. Well, it's a quest for pleasure reminds me of the story of the little boy and girl who went to the fair. And the little boy took the dollar that he had and bought an ice cream cone, and the little girl took her dollar and bought a ticket to the merry-go-round. The little boy stood there licking his ice cream cone, and his sister was on the merry-go-round going round and round. And when she got off, she came over to him, and he's licking his ice cream cone, and she says, May I have a lick? He says, No. You spent your dollar on the merry-go-round. And all you did was go round and round. You got off where you got on. You ain't been nowhere. <laughs> well, that is a quest for pleasure. See, we just go round and round. We get off where we get on, and we ain't been nowhere. 
But Solomon says that, that I, I, I pursued pleasure in my quest for life and then knowledge in verse number 13. And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Sometimes we think that that the meaning of life is found in knowledge. And if I get this degree or if I get this diploma, then I am going to be fulfilled if I have this knowledge, if I know that. And so in our quest, we pursue humanism and naturalism and all the other isms, thinking that that is going to fulfill me, that if I just know this, then I'm going to be fulfilled, and yet it leaves us empty without God. For some, they, they look to work for their fulfillment. In verse number 3, he said, What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? He says, It's empty without God. Whatever our work happens to be, yes, there is satisfaction with it, but it does not ultimately fulfill the desire of the heart. And that's what Solomon says. Wealth, chapter 2, verse number 8. Also I collected for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers, and the pleasures of men, many concubines. And he says they are empty without God. It is all futile, he says. Now, I don't know if you believe this or not, but here is a man who had everything and tried everything, and he said it was all futile. Pleasure does not bring pleasure. A quest for knowledge does not satisfy the hunger of the heart. I'm not saying that we ought not uh, be educated in those things. Certainly we should, but understand that there are limits as to what it can provide for you. Work does not provide the satisfaction we thought it was going to. There are some of you young people, and you, you look for time whenever you get that job that you are on the career path and all that thinking that is going to bring satisfaction to your life, and it will bring a certain satisfaction to your life, but it isn't going to ultimately satisfy you. I was reading some farewell statements of former presidents in our country. George Washington said, I'd rather be in the grave than in the presidency again. James Buchanan said to Lincoln as he was coming into office, If you are as happy, dear sir, on entering this house as I am on leaving it, you are the happiest man in the country. (laughs) And then after Lincoln had been president for a little while, he said, I feel like the man who was tarred and feathered and ridden out of town on a rail. The thing that I'm saying is that all of these things, I'm not saying that they are bad things, but what I am saying is that they are not going to bring to you the satisfaction of life that you seek, nor does wealth, no matter how much money. Let me ask you a question. Are you making more money today in in spite of the economic conditions, but you're making more money today than you thought you would when you were a young person? You bet you are. Are you satisfied? George Barna did a study concerning that question. And they determined that the average American adult believes they need between eight and $11,000 more than they're making, regardless as to what they make. 
If they make $40,000 a year, I need eight to $11,000 more. If I make $150,000 a year, I need eight to $11,000 more than I'm making. And the reason for that is that it never satisfies. So what Solomon is saying is that life is insignificant without God, that it is meaningless without God, that it does not satisfy us. And then he tells us that life with God is meaningful. That's exactly what Jesus said in John 10.10. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. When God created you, He created you with a desire to know Him. You have a desire in your heart to know God. You might not recognize that, and so you think, if I get these things, if I get this stuff, then I'm going to be satisfied. No, you never will, because God has created you with a desire to know Him. And that is the fulfillment. That is is the place from which fulfillment comes. Now, how do I know God? Well, it begins whenever I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I invite Christ into my heart to be my Savior. I am born again into the family of God. And so now then I know God as my Savior. But then we need to know God as our Father. And there we learn the heart of God. You see, when you get to know that God is your heavenly Father, that He is a Father, then you begin to understand somewhat the heart of God. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying prior to the cross, He prayed to the Father. Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for Thee. Remove this cup from Me. Let me ask you, do you know God is Father? Is He a Father to you? Oh, my friends, some of you never got past the Savior stage. You received Him as Savior, and you've not grown in that relationship with God where He has become Father to you, and you need to know Him as Father. The Bible says in Romans 8, 15, You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Vine says, Abba is the word framed by the lips of infants and betokens unreasoning trust. It's a child's word. He continues, Father expresses an intelligent apprehension to the relationship. The two together express the love and intelligent confidence of the child. My friend, I pray that you might get to know God as Abba, Father. Like a child, Abba, Father. See, God created you to know Him. And then after you know Him, the Lord is working in your life to conform you to His image that you might become like Jesus. And so the Scripture says in Romans 8, 29, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Predestined what? He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Did you know that God is doing that in your life? If you know Him as Savior... If He is your Savior, then He is working in your life through all of your circumstances, through all of the issues of life. He is working in your life to conform you to the image of Jesus because that's what He wants of you. He wants you to be like Jesus. 
And then when you become like Jesus, as the Holy Spirit is working in your life, making you to become like Jesus, then we become concerned for and focused on others. And the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's your assignment. God is at work in the lives of people, reconciling them to Jesus. And He has given to you, if you are a believer, He has given to you the word of reconciliation so that you might share the good news of Jesus with people you know. So, Solomon speaks here about the vanity of life. He said, without God, life is meaningless. With God, life is meaningful. Then he goes on to speak about the brevity of life. I don't know that anyone describes it more eloquently than did James who wrote, You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Isn't that true? We're like the morning fog. We appear in the morning, the sun comes out, and we are gone. Linda and I were walking uh, her dog, I think it was the day before yesterday. And as we did so, she said, you know, it's, it's just amazing how short life is. You don't recognize that. Now, you, uh, there are a lot of people here who understand that, and there are most of you here who do not understand that. But I can assure you there's going to come a time when you're going to say, where did it go? What happened? Life is so short. Matthew Henry wrote, We continue in the world for one generation which is continually passing away to make room for another, and we are passing with it. So he's talking here about the brevity of life. Solomon, in the latter years of his life, is looking back and says, Gosh, it was just so short. And he mentions that earth is mutable in verse number 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The earth remains forever, and yet it is always changing. Folks, that's always been true. This earth has always been changing. And today, what is it we are concerned about? Global warming. We are concerned about the temperature, the rise of temperature. And I'm not disputing that at all, that the earth is getting warmer. But we are concerned about that. The thing that is of interest to me is that in 1974, Time magazine wrote, quote, When meteorologists take an average of temperatures around the globe, they find that the atmosphere has been growing gradually cooler for the past three decades. The trend shows no indication of reversing. That was in 1974. In 1975, Newsweek magazine wrote, Meteorologists disagree about the cause and extent of the cooling trend, but they are almost unanimous in the view that the trend will reduce agricultural productivity for the rest of the century. That was in 1975. Uh, the point that I would make to you, no matter where you stand, it doesn't matter to me, to be honest. In fact, I, you, know, I, what, you know what has happened to us is that we've kicked God out of our lives, out of society. We've removed God, and now then we're responsible for all this stuff, and I'm worn out. I'm trying to hold the oceans back. I'm trying to get the temperature right. I'm trying to do all those things, and I'm just having a lot of trouble with it. 
The point that he is making here is that the earth remains forever, but the earth is always in a state of change. Look at verse number 5. Also the sun rises, the sun sets. Hastening to its place, it rises again. He says the sun's always just rising and setting. It's always changing. Verse number 6, he said, blowing toward the south, then turning towards the north. The wind continues swirling along on its circular courses. The wind returns. He said the, the wind blows out of the south, turns around, comes back, blows out of the north. Changing. Next verse, all the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place where the rivers flow. There they flow again. He says the rivers are flowing into the ocean, flowing into the ocean, and they are never full. Earth changes, always has been. The earth has always been in a state of change, but it remains. What he says here in verse number 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. The earth remains and we leave. Tony Campalo wrote, if you ever start to feel proud... Just remember that soon after your body has been lowered into the grave, your family and friends will be eating potato salad and telling jokes, and you'll be history. <laughs> generations come and generations go, and we all are going to leave. It is appointed unto man once to die. All of us are going to leave this earth. Perhaps you have... Uh, read the story recently. I think I have it here somewhere. What did I do with it? Well, I'm going to make it up. There it is. Christopher Hitchens, who is the well-known atheist, wrote the book, God is Not Great, uh, has cancer. And uh, he is not doing well at all. Just recently, within the past couple, two, three weeks, I think, he was in Birmingham, Alabama, and a friend of his, who is a committed Christian, asked him, how's your health? He said, well, I'm dying since you asked, but so are you. I'm only doing it more rapidly. The sad thing to me is that there are a lot of Christians who are praying for him. Some, I'm sure, praying that he will be saved. Some, that he will be healed and so forth. But many Christians praying for him. He's ruling out the idea of a deathbed change of heart, however. Thanks, but no thanks, is the reply to those who want me to convert and recognize a divinity or deity. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, he is going to meet God, just as you will meet God. Life is brief, and we are going to stand before God. Then Solomon, after he reminds the reader of the brevity of life, expresses his disappointment in life. Now, here's a man who had everything that you could imagine, and he expresses disappointment. There are two areas, I believe, in which he was disappointed. First is that there's nothing new. Look at verse number 9. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done, so there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. 
We're always looking for something new. That was the Athenians. When Paul came, they wanted him to speak because they wanted to hear something new. But there is nothing new, Solomon says, under the sun. There is nothing new. We simply reposition that that is old. The heavens, they are not new. Matthew Henry wrote, The heavens were of old, the earth abides forever, the powers of nature and the links of natural causes are still the same that ever they were. The heavens are the same, the earth is the same. It, it changes, but it remains forever. It is the same. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.3, His works were finished from the foundation of the world. God created the world and then He rested. And the earth remains the same. Man has not changed. He is still the same. I, I read through the Old Testament oftentimes, and the thing that is remarkable to me is that they were like us, or we are like them. Man does not change. Matthew Henry wrote, Man, Men's hearts and the corruption of them are still the same. Their desires and pursuits and complaints are still the same. The Greeks were always looking for something new. Tadanius, the Assyrian, said to the Greeks, For shame, do not call those things inventions which are but imitations. Solomon says, I'm, I'm disappointed in life. There's nothing new. I pursued all of this, but there is nothing new. And he was disappointed. Secondly, memory perishes, verse number 11. There's no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the later things which will occur. There will be no remembrance for them, no remembrance among those who will come later still. Solomon was disappointed that memory perishes. I suppose most of us have sat and studied in buildings on campuses that bore the name of someone. When we were there, we didn't know who they were, nor did we care. They must have been influential at one time, but their memory perishes. The same thing is true in ministry. I suppose that I could mention to you the Salvation Army, AA, number of ministries, and ask you who was the founder, and most of you could not tell me, because memory perishes. Louise Burkholder told me about in her class a couple of years ago, she asked the question in her class, and she said something about Billy Graham, and she said not one student knew who Billy Graham was. Memory perishes even more quickly than we can imagine. So Solomon was disappointed. He said there's nothing new, and memory perishes. So let me conclude. What do we learn from this man? Well, that life without God is empty. So he says in verse 2, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. A search for pleasure, for knowledge, for work, for wealth, whatever it is, does not satisfy. So he says it's futile, it's empty, it is insignificant. It will not satisfy the hunger of your heart. He says life with God gives meaning. And that basically is the message. And that's what the preacher is trying to say. That if you would have life and you would have fulfillment, 
You will find it in a relationship to God. What did he conclude? If you'll turn over to chapter 12, verse number 13, we see his conclusion. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every purpose. That is His conclusion about life. Do you want life that is meaningful? Then fear God and keep His commandments. Know God and keep His commandments. Then you'll know life. Our Father in God, we thank you for this reminder from a man who lived so many years ago. And Lord, we thank you that the truth is still pertinent, unchanged, because the truth never changes. And Father, I ask today that you would examine our hearts and reveal to us what we see and I pray, what you see, and I pray, Father, that for some who are looking everywhere for the meaning of life except to you, that today they would turn to you. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit move in our midst right now. Speak to our hearts right now. Draw us to Jesus right now. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we are going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. My friend, there are some of you who are wasting your life, and it's so short, so short. You're looking everywhere for the meaning to life, and it's in Christ. Today, I would ask that you commit your life to Him, Lord Jesus. I want to know you as Savior. I want to know you as Father. Abba, Father, I want to know you. Today, you commit your life to Him. There are some of you who are Christians. You've gotten away from the Lord. Let me encourage you today to commit anew to Him. That's the only place you're going to find life and satisfaction. It's with Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. But this invitation is for you. Would you stand with me, please, as we stand together, the choir sings. As they sing, you come to make your commitment. I'll meet you as you do.